From the east side to the west, this is From the Land, the Cleveland Sports and More podcast. I'm your host, Jason Gerber, and tonight we continue our holiday extravaganza and start by drinking away the nerves left over from another Browns win before talking about the Cavs on the rise. On the road, we dive into a busy week and talk NFL, college bowl season, and baseball. Off the field, we recap our holiday drinks and talk parties, music, and movies for the holidays. I am joined tonight by two of the best ever. My co-hosts, Phil Danko and Chuck Rambaldo are here. Fellas, did you need a drink after today's Browns game? <laughs> uh, I popped open the champagne early after that win. No, I knew I was having pasta for dinner, so I wanted to <laughs> keep my stomach empty. <laughs> Well, man, I felt it was pretty stressful, so I definitely needed a drink after that game. We are going to go ahead and get started. We're going to stay at home. We're going to start with Skid Marks, our weekly look at the brown and orange road to the Super Bowl. And before we get to the Browns, we have to mention that we are in our first segment, starting with our Grinch mimosas. This was Chuck's selection from last week. This is orange juice, champagne, and blue curacao, I think is how that word is pronounced. And so far, it seems like it's going down pretty well. But let's move on and talk some Browns. Whew. The Browns outwit, outplay, and outlast the Jacksonville Jaguars <laughs> to survive. The Browns and their fans sweat out a 31-27 big white satin jacket win to get to 8-5, and five, all alone in second place in the AFC North, a game ahead of the this-has-got-to-be-fucking-over Steelers. <laughs> Give me your 60, your 60-second take on today's stress test win. I love sports, man. When an uh, organization's nemesis for over a decade is leading your team to the playoffs and becoming a folk hero in the city that hated his guts is pretty awesome. Uh, the bonus here is uh, he comes with no drama, no baggage, and apparently no rust and knows how to win. Uh, it's amazing especially early in the game. Amazing what an offense can do when you have a QB who can operate under center. Joe Flacco is the safest I've felt with the Browns quarterback in a really long time, but it wasn't pretty. It didn't really have to be pretty. Four takeaways was huge. Punting was huge. Special teams in general was huge. Three for three on fourth down is huge. Uh, Stefanski doing really great things with the play calling, finally putting his players in positions to succeed and elevate uh, players around him now his fourth QB elevating them to a level of play that is good enough to win in disbelief man that and we talked about this before with all the injuries on this team they're not only competitive they can win so I guess we're not supposed to ask how we just start asking how many how many more wins is this team going to stack up seven and we win the Super Bowl um, <laughs> <laughs> the Browns opening possession with Joe Flacco running the offense is unstoppable it's absolutely unstoppable it's it's the most efficient offense I've ever seen run in Cleveland Ohio and Flacco threw the ball all over the field today he completed passes to eight receivers again over 300 yards of passing three touchdowns uh, I looked this up you may be asking yourself when was the last time a Browns quarterback threw for over 300 yards and had three touchdown passes in a game well, we've eaten two Thanksgiving dinners since it last happened, and it was Jacoby Brissett <laughs> oh, wow. on, on on November 20th of last year. I couldn't go back far enough to find the last time it happened before that. I, I think it was Baker two, four, two years ago prior to that anyway. Flacco and Najoku, that combo is looking good, man. That is something that if they can lean into that, that's something down the stretch for the for this team uh, going forward. 
And today we saw the Browns defense return to some semblance of, of dominance, uh, at least for the first half and, and most of the third quarter. They really, they looked fast. They were, they were hitting running backs behind the line of scrimmage. They were making plays in closing space. Uh, they forced, like Chuck said, they forced four turnovers, uh, picked Lawrence off three times, and then Garrett with the the very timely sack towards the the end there. And I feel like if this defense can get right and get healthy, because they do weather a lot of injury, with our Hall of Fame-like kicking stats, uh, this keeps the Browns in the driver's seat for the postseason going forward. Uh, you guys are right to to start with Flacco. They needed everything they could get from him today because there was no way that run game was going. And I don't blame the Browns. I think Jacksonville just has a great run defense, and the Browns' offensive line is banged up, and so you needed Flacco to play well. And he played better than I think it's fair for anybody to expect, given the circumstances. And it was just so important to the game today. I really liked most of the play calling all game long. I loved the third and three play when Hunt ran for the touchdown. No frills, no passing. We're just going to beat him up and score. I thought that was a great play call in that situation. As for the defense, it's a really nice comeback performance. Considering the way the last couple of weeks have gone, I don't really feel like Jacksonville was ever a threat uh, to put points on the board. 14 of the points they got in this game were on really short fields after turnovers, and the Browns' defense absolutely crushed them when they tried to ramp, run the ball. Just couldn't do it at all today, to the point where even on like third and short situations – you knew they were passing. They weren't going to try to run the ball because they couldn't get anything done. I think that run defense is going to be really important going forward, and that was really great to see today. But all I really want for Christmas is for nobody else to get hurt for the rest of the season because it's tough watching guys go down the way they have all season long for the Browns. The offensive line in the secondary are really thin after today, and that might be an issue going forward. But all in all, this was a stressful game to watch and get through but it was a nice win for the browns today so let's move on browns fan psychology what do you think it was just before the onside kick and what is it now i think just before the onside kick i don't know about well okay i'll say most browns fans probably assumed jacksonville would recover the kick at least knowing they had to drive to score a touchdown to win the game and we'd have to sit through three gut-wrenching long passes after that. Uh, and what it is now is, hey, we just win football games. That's all we do. We just trot players <laughs> out there and win football games. So let's keep it rolling. When they line up, even though the NFL has changed the rules, it's, it's so hard to get an onside kick. I think the psyche of most of us is that it's going to take a weird hop. The guy's going to catch it in stride and run for a touchdown. And that's how this game's <laughs> that's how this game's going to get tied up. And maybe he'd go for two again or whatever. Uh, thanks, Doug Peterson, for some really questionable play calls during that oh, game. Yeah. How do they feel now? Elated. Like, what? After all the adversity, seeing the injuries and all this happening, you're getting really good quarterback play. We can still win all these games. The schedule lines up nicely. I think that's where everybody's saying right now is that. We can win out, maybe. Maybe the really irrational Browns fans are saying we can win out, but anything's possible. <laughs> I need a white satin hat. If we win out, I need a white satin hat. I would speak for Browns fans and just say that what I felt before that onside kick was a ton of nerves. Like, you've got to be kidding me. We're here in this situation again, which should totally go in our favor. The odds of them getting an onside kick recovery are slim to nothing, but we all remember the Jets game last year and what happened, and you're nervous as hell for it until he recovers it. And then, my gosh, that was a relief. I think now Browns fans should be starting to feel 
more confident than usual about the playoffs. This win really puts the Browns in a good spot for, for making a playoff run. We should feel better about it now. We shouldn't be quite as nervous that the other shoe is about to drop on us the way we usually are as Browns fans. Let's move on. Who is your State Farm most valuable Brown? The original MVB. It's a lot of love to go around today, but I think I'm just going to, I'll take the easiest one here, even though there's a few players that deserve it. I'm going to say Joe Flacco. You throw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns, and you shouldn't be playing this well, not only at your advanced age, but the fact that you have not played competitively in months. You come off the couch three weeks and you're and you're leading a team and looking so comfortable uh, in that offense. So it's Joe Flacco today. I'm going to give my MVB to David Njoku. Um, stat line was great, right? Six receptions, 91 yards, two touchdowns. But beyond that, he came back when Flacco was scrambling and made an unbelievable catch on the sideline on a play that I thought Flacco was throwing it out of bounds. He used his strength today and pushed defenders yeah. around rather than trying to hurdle them like yeah. he always does. Jeez. So he stayed on the ground and he had a great game. And and again, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm hoping that kind of sparks some confidence between those two and carries us through these next four games. There really were a ton of options today, which especially if the last few weeks where it was hard to find things to get excited about, man, this felt good. But Flacco and Joku, Emerson, Bohorquez. 412 punt yards. Man, wait till next year's fantasy season. He is going to be the first player drafted. So those are all those are all great options. I'm going to go with Jerome Ford today. 51 yards on the ground, 31 yards receiving, and it just felt like he got tough yards when they really, really needed it. And it just felt like he was really valuable to that team today, even in light of some of like the big numbers that these other guys were putting up. I thought he had a really solid game and you'd like to see them continue to feed him a little bit because his numbers were pretty good. So Browns have five wins in close games, games that are decided by less than a touchdown, less than a field goal, something like that. Is this team getting lucky or are they just really good and difficult to beat in a close football game? Well, it's the NFL. So I think you probably take a little bit of each of those columns, I I guess, from game to game. But this team is definitely harder to beat in close games than previous iterations of the Browns. I I felt like we were losing all the close games last year because our we couldn't rely on a defense to get a three and out when we needed or to force a field goal when we've turned the ball over inside the red zone for the other team. Um, And they're doing that now. So I do think the team's a harder team to beat in close games. And and it's it's really it. It can go either way. We can leave it up to the defense to kind of stop the team if they need to drive and score. And and throughout the season anyway, regardless of who's playing quarterback, the offenses at the end of games with the lead tend to take some time off the clock, which has been good to see too. We're not, we're not suffering that, all right, we got to control the game here. We can win it, and we go three and out and, and give up a 13-second drive like Jacksonville did today yep. uh, against the Cleveland Browns defense. So. I, I think it's a hard team to beat in a close game and a little bit of luck is going our way this year too. <laughs> right down the middle. A little bit. Yeah. I'd, I'd probably sit it right down the middle. Cause I'm, I know there's been games that we've been kept in and had a chance to win because of some very fortuitous penalty calls for, for the Browns. And then you're also seeing stuff like Phil said, this is not the first game this year where we've seen a team do what the Browns have typically done late in the game down by points where they're taking no time off the clock. They're running very weird plays. They're getting interesting coaching decisions. 
so I think it, it's starting to line up. And when you get a couple of those, let's say you get three of those, you're saying we're at five. That is so great for that team because they start to believe there's no game they can't win, especially if it's close in the end of it as it gets later in the season or the weather gets worse or the competition gets better. But I still think it's it's probably a 50-50. Like some things have just gone this team's way uh, that have not for 20-some years. You guys suck. Come on. It's, 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 a, it's, it's <laughs> not you can't put quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> right. You can't put you can't put luck on all of it, but I think you're hitting on all the things that that I think are what make this legitimately a tough team to beat. They're more disciplined than the Browns teams we're used to. So we're not getting those penalties that kill you. They're not getting they're not like turning the ball over late and losing games that way. They're not stuck, you know, in a situation where they can't move the ball in three plays because they don't have the talent. I think that they have continually found ways to win and made plays when they needed to all season long. This is a pretty big sample size, I think, to look at it and say that it's that it's luck. You know, like Chuck's saying, I think, man, maybe if it's two or three of these close games bounce your way, you can say there's some luck in that. I think it's something more than that for what they're doing this year. Unfortunately, I think it's going to keep going because it seems like as great as it is that they can win these close games, the injuries have left them in a spot where they don't have enough talent to blow anybody out anymore. Every single game is going to be like the one that we watched today, I think, for the rest of the season. And so we better be used to um, finding ways to win late and me having a heart attack. (laughs) <laughs> All right, let's move on to some positive stuff, hopefully. Browns bets. What bet did you make on the Browns this week? My bet almost hit by halftime. This was fantastic. <laughs> so I'll, I'll start with the, the layers here. It was it was a plus 600 bet. Oh, I needed, I Yeah, I needed David Njoku to score a touchdown. Check on the first drive, right? I needed Joe Flacco to complete 150 yards of passing or more. He had 212 at halftime. I needed Jerome Ford to rush for 25 yards. He had 45 yards at halftime. I needed Najoku to have 25 yards of receiving. He had 91 yards at halftime. The only thing I didn't hit by halftime was Kareem Hunt needed 25 yards of rushing for me to hit my bet. And he got it on the last offensive Ooh. possession of the game. I won a plus 600 parlay. Holy cow. Because they kept feeding Kareem at the end of the game. <laughs> Thank God. I won, but it pales in comparisons to Phil's. Yeah, I know. Odds. I, I mean, wish you'd never asked oh, Phil yeah, first. Yeah. I, yeah. I did a, I did a whole two leg parlay here. So uh, I took the Browns money line and Cedric Tillman over 16 and a half yards. That was Ooh. plus mm. plus two thirty seven. Uh, Ten k Gerbucks turned into over thirty three and a half thousand Gerbucks. So uh, again, I thought I'm chipping away Phil, but now he hits a six hundred plus. Big one. Yeah, this was yeah, a big that's, one, yeah, that's the end of it. <laughs> Yeah, I thought I thought I did really well too. I had um Flacco over 0.5 TD passes. First drive took care of that. And Joku over 33 and a half yards receiving. First drive took care of that. JOK over three and a half tackles. And that one took until midway through the third quarter before he got his fourth tackle. And then he ended up, I think, with 10 or something like that. He had a big game down the stretch. That was the easiest plus 325 I've ever had. Um, ten thousand Gerbucks on that, but Nothing sounds cool after Phil anymore, so we're just going to move on. (laughs) All right. Next week, Browns welcome the Bears to the land. Preseason, every single one of us picked a win, but the Bears are 3-1 and in their last four games. They beat the Lions, the Vikings, and the Panthers. Their only loss was that weird 31-26 game to the Lions. This may not be the shitty Bears from the beginning of the season. 
Are you secretly really nervous about next week? Not on Sunday after a big win against the good team. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm not. And I think, you know, like Justin Fields is starting to play better in that offense. And you, you almost have to look at that team like a Baltimore Ravens team without the weapons or the, or the really good defense. Like you, you have a, a guy who's similar, at least with his legs runs more than Lamar yep. Jackson. If they're using that same kind of game plan, they did the last time the balance played the Ravens where they kind of kept him in the pocket. They had two levels uh, with the linebackers kind of staying home to, to watch that run. But no, I don't, I don't feel secretly scared, especially like you, you win today. The bears are an inferior team comparatively to the Jaguars. So go Browns. Except they just beat the Detroit Lions, who are a really good team and in first place. I'm not secretly scared of this game. Um, it is one of those games that it, it it seems like a trap game because we've got an AFC foe the week after, right, in in, in Houston, which is a big game on the road. But I, you know what? Stefanski and the coaching staff is going to keep this team focused. Leaders like Miles Garrett and now Joe Flacco is going to keep this team focused. Win at home. That's what they've been doing all year. So win this game at home. You beat a an inferior team in the bears and you end next Sunday with nine wins with three games left. That's your goal right there. Just take care of business at home. So I'm not afraid. Well, my question was nervous. I didn't ask if you were afraid. (laughs) I'm not afraid either. Nothing's going to happen to me if they lose. I would say that I'm not, I have a jacket on. (laughs) (laughs) I, I am not confident in the notion. I think maybe a few weeks ago, I would have been, that the Browns can just cream these guys. Like, I have a feeling this is going to be another knockdown, drag out, close game because I think this Bears, Bears team has improved and they're not the pushover they were maybe six or eight weeks ago. So, still confident the Browns are going to keep the winning going, but a little bit nervous about how tense that game is going to be. But Why don't we move on from there? Good win, Browns. Go Browns. Looking forward to next week's game. Why don't we dive into our sip of wine and gold, our weekly Cavs recap. Cavs took one look at our dire predictions about an even Steven week and said, f*** you, pay me. Can't play elite defense? F*** you, pay me. Can't get consistent production on offense? F*** you, pay me. Cavs ruined the week for Florida by starting with a dominant win over the Orlando Magic on Wednesday night. That sentence actually means something for the first time since Little Penny was a thing. Cavs wrapped the week with a come-from-behind win over the Heat in Miami. Cavs now 13-9, and the sixth seed in the East, and moving on up. Are these wins enough to let go of that ugly loss to the Trailblazers a couple weeks ago? maybe but i don't know like you're basically asking are they you know are they turning a corner and i'm I'm, uh, they're playing much better they're getting much healthier they're winning games that have adversity and they're coming back to win games um and there was a really great win this week like next to that sixers win that the heat wins probably the the second best one of the season for this team yeah i just look at next week and go you can ask that same question i'll probably have a clearer answer for what that schedule looks like with the back-to-back against the celtics but they're coming into form, and I'm like, I'll put it that way. They're coming into form. I'm liking what I'm seeing. You're starting to see them maybe have some sort of identity, uh, and they're they're winning. They want again. Go back to the Miami. They win a game without Mobley on the court. You know, like they, they're just find they're finding ways to win against better teams than the Trailblazers. So that's good news. I had already forgotten about the loss to the Trailblazers <laughs> until you just brought it up. <laughs> um, but but reflecting on that loss, that's the Cavs' only bad loss of the season. So all right, you, you got that one bad loss. Uh, and these were two really good wins. You know, uh, Cleveland sweeps the state of Florida, proving my 
ridiculous prediction from last week wrong even yeah um, yeah and and the and the Cavs uh Chuck's right they're rounding into form here there's they're a guard centric offense right and and that shouldn't surprise anybody with Mitchell and Garland and even Struess starting if if those are your three guards I think against Orlando those three guys had almost 80 points combined yeah yeah they were huge yeah so it's it's a very guard centric offense we're able to win games when Mobley sits, when Allen sits, which is good to see. Get those guys healthy because in the long stretch, especially against the the better teams in the East, we're going to need our big guys for sure. My thought was that their the reaction to that Trailblazers loss was overblown, not that big a deal, and they're starting to look really good. Like these were two really good, solid, fun wins. Good defense, scoring when they needed it. It, these, this was a great week for the Cavs. I really liked it. Now, the Cavs bench, 44 points from the bench in that game against the Heat with contributions from CPJ, Okoro, three-point Grimace, Tristan Thompson, and Sam Merrill. They also did that with bigger beard Dean Wade starting for Mobley, Karras injured, and Imani Bates dressed like an elf in a charge <laughs> game. For, for all the talk about how offseason moves were going to help the starters and create space for Mobley and Mitchell and Garland, isn't the bench where we may see the most improvement on the Cavs this year? I, I hope it is. Uh, our bench was was pretty shallow last year, you know. So now awful. You, you, awful. Yeah, you get you get production like that out of the guys you just mentioned. I mean, George Niang is. He's unconscious. These last, he's just hitting three after three, and he's all over the floor. So that's great to have off the off the bench. You get Levert back too, and that really boosts that bench. So not only will this be the most improved part of the team, that bar wasn't all that high. This could be what carries this team through such a long season and keeps them on the winning path. I think what Phil's saying, right, and what you what the question was is is right on. Like the bench is so much better, and he mentioned Yang, who's who's playing really well, and apparently as a team leader. I had no idea. Like they were talking about that this week too. Like good, good, good for that guy. And Dean Wade had a strong performance against the Heat on both ends. I didn't know he had that that kind of dunk in him where he went over top on that rebound. Like, oh, all right. Like there maybe this maybe yeah. these guys are, and and Merrill getting meaningful minutes and Porter got a few more minutes. You know, like it's it's good to see that um, that guys can contribute against good teams when you need them to. And that's what happened against at least you know like the Heat this week. So. Bringing in the starter, I thought was the best move with Struess, but you're seeing that bench play way better, uh, and they're missing arguably their best bench player within Lavert. So, and Trist- Tristan Thompson, I've said his name two weeks in a row. That's that's crazy. <laughs> there, there was such a burden on Mitchell and Garland to put up points last year that now you don't have to have them carry the weight so much because you've got score, you've got legitimate scoring on the bench. And that's that's so important, man. I'm I'm excited for the way that's starting to come together. Next week, NBA scheduling chat GPT strikes again. Cavs play in Orlando Monday night, in Boston Tuesday night, in Boston Thursday night, and back in Cleveland Saturday for a game against the Hawks. Are the Cavs ready for this stupid schedule gauntlet? Yeah, I hope so. But I mean, what's a good week there? Two and two? I find two and two would be perfectly acceptable given that schedule. I don't like it. I don't, I don't like that you have back-to-backs again, even though there's days off and rest in between them. I don't like you having a black, but ooh, back-to-back, that's the right way to say it, against that upstart Orlando team and back-to-back against one of the best teams in the NBA. And then you get to come home for your rivalry game against the Hawks. Um, I don't know if they have enough to get through. This is a 
we say we're saying it every week uh because this has four games but th- this is a super important week for this Cavs team because you're playing the Celtics twice and I think that's a really good gauge to see where they're at at this point in the season it's a really stupid schedule and I don't know if it gets like this because of the way they had to build things to fit in the in-season tournament but it stinks to have to play Orlando and the next night play the Celtics and then like hang out in Boston for a couple of days and play the Celtics again. That's just a weird way to do it, but it is going to be an interesting test of what they can do. And it stinks like a, I think they've already announced that Mobley's out for the game against Orlando tomorrow. So they're going to be shorthanded trying to do this as well. We'll see what happens, but they're definitely playing the best ball they have this season. Uh, and so I think this is the time hopefully that, it, it works out for them to to go through a schedule like this and see how they do. We'll see what happens. Go Cavs. Fellas, with that, we are going to finish our mimosas, take our first break, go and head out on the road for a busy night. Welcome back to our second segment. We'll head out on the road. We'll start with NFL storylines. First up, welcome to Loserville. Today we got the Bucks versus the Falcons and the Panthers versus the Saints. Control of the NFC South was up for grabs, I guess. When the dust settled, everyone in the division is 6 and 7 except the Panthers, who are not just a little bit bad, they are committed bad. Is it possible to be confident in any of these teams to win the NFC South? Statistically somebody has to win it. <laughs> Confidently I think it's a horse apiece between the the three teams uh, because I thought the Bucks defense was good, but they weren't they weren't good today. But Baker Mayfield made a gorgeous pass to win that game. Falcons, I just don't get that Ritter guy wins. I don't, I don't understand it. They're too up and down. The Saints, who I thought me and Phil picked, they don't like that. I mean, there's just there's not a lot happening in the NFC South. <laughs> so I know somebody's gonna win it. Am I confident who it's gonna be, or confident that anybody should? No, not really. I have no confidence in any of those three teams. They're they're that is they're, the correct answer. Yeah, no. no confidence. I mean, they're they're just not good. They're not even good. I mean, they're good in the division, but look at the division they're playing, right? So I don't know how many head to heads they got left. Uh, maybe one a piece in the last four weeks. I don't know. Um, but no, no confidence. Someone's going to win it with a losing record. I think can't be confident in any of these teams. There's just too many things wrong with all of them. That's how they've gotten to six and seven right now. Uh, and it's going to be an interesting run to the end of that division. I'm, I'm going to be entertained by it for sure for the next four weeks. All right, let's move on and talk about the good teams. Before we do that, I forgot to mention that we've moved on. We are now on our maple bourbon old-fashioned. It's bourbon, maple syrup, a dash of lemon juice, and a sprinkle of cinnamon, if you can remember to bring it with you. All right, let's move on. Talk about the good teams Ravens won a crazy good game against the Rams today. Are the Ravens the best team in the AFC? Maybe in the NFL? I'll give them the edge for being best team in the AFC, but not in the NFL. I I, I don't think they're top to bottom. I don't think they're as good as the 49ers or, or maybe even these Eagles if they can get their shit together. But definitely the best team in the AFC, it seems. They win at home and on the road, which no one else in the AFC is doing. I mean, there was a nice block in the back on that punt return for the touchdown that didn't get called but i listen to the hater 
<laughs> good teams find a way to win, I guess. I will give them, yes, they're probably the best team in the AFC. I reserve the 49ers probably to still be the best team in the NFL at this point. I was hoping you guys would have had enough mimosa and bourbon to take a shot at calling the Ravens the best team in the NFL. Probably not good grounds for doing that, but certainly at this point over the Chiefs, who lost today to the Bills, over the Dolphins, who haven't beaten anybody good, I think you got to say the Ravens are right now head and shoulders best team in the AFC. The AFC playoff picture is like a Toys R Us when Furbies came out for Christmas in 1998. It's crowded with losers. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Dealers, Bengals, Colts, Texans, Broncos, Bills are all seven and six. At least two of those teams are making the playoffs. So does that group all lump together at seven and six support your belief that 10 wins gets you into the AFC playoffs? That means that the teams are going to make it and go three and one the rest of the way. Or could it actually be only nine that gets you into the playoffs in the AFC? Ooh. I wish I had all their schedules in front of me. Um, I still think it's gonna be it's gonna be ten. And a long time ago, when we talked about who the wild card teams are, things have changed. But then they've kind of gone back to that because we said Browns, Bills, Bengals, and it looks like right now those teams are winning and playing pretty good football. Uh, so I think it would be ten. You know, I think that last game of the season for the Browns that's going to be a bigger game than we thought because apparently. This guy's Joe Burrow too. Now, whoever this fucking guy is can play just as well for the last three weeks. So I think you got to have like you got to be safe. You need ten. I, you, you get nine. It comes down to like probably tiebreakers in first downs and punting yardage or something like that. And somebody's gonna stay at home with that tiebreaker. So yeah, I would say you control your own destiny. Get to ten. Yeah, I'm sticking with ten as the bar, um, which is good for our Cleveland Browns. I can see this might be a year that nine, nine and eight does it in the AFC, but you've got, you just rattle off what six teams that are seven and six. So two of those teams need to go three and one. And I think that might happen. Maybe, you, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if nine and eight ends up in that, in that last wild card spot in the AFC, but as a Browns fan, keep shooting towards 10 wins, 10 wins gets you in for sure. Certainly, you know, don't take the foot off the gas for the Browns uh, 10 I think guarantees, well, 11 guarantees you, 10 puts you in a great spot. I think nine might be possible. Every single one of those six teams is somewhat flawed. They've all had their problems throughout the year. And going three and one down the stretch is t is going to be tough. It's going to be hard for somebody to go win three of their next four games, especially if they're playing other teams that are in the mix too. So it's really possible that somebody sneaks in with only nine wins. I think so. But we'll see. It's 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 crazy that that many teams are now stuck together at seven and six playing for what at this point, you know, if the Browns keep doing their thing, it is two playoff spots. Let's move over to the NFC. Like I said earlier, Rams lost a great game to the Ravens today. They're six and seven with Washington, New Orleans, the Giants, and the 49ers left on their schedule. Can the Rams still get in because they're on the outside right now? You got to go, what, 3-0, and get to that Niners game and hope they're sitting everybody and that gets you in. Like you have to beat, yeah. you have to beat the Niners to get in. 
those three games are winnable for them. We saw them last week, and they're an okay team. They should win in the NFC. But you got to hope the Niners are sitting everybody, and that's how you steal your way into the playoffs if you're the if you're the Rams. Yeah, this is going to be rough. They they've got to win three of those four games for sure. Um, and maybe maybe Chuck's right that 49ers game might be a a win for the Rams just because the 49ers sit everyone. The, the game on the road against the Giants, even though the Giants are terrible, not a not a confident win for the L.A. Rams, right? Flying across the country to New York for that, uh, they should be favorites at home against Washington, and and then that leaves the New Orleans game, and we don't know what these New Orleans Saints are, right? So, oh, I think we got an idea. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're rhymes with Mitty. Like, <laughs> Fitty, they're uh, they're <laughs> six and seven, just like the Rams. But if the Rams play like they did today, they can win three of these games, and and maybe it is because the 49ers hit everybody. So then they might get that last spot. I think that this Rams team has a really good shot of making it. I mean, they went on the road today in a tough place to play in bad weather and almost and maybe should have won a game against the team that might be the best team in the AFC. Like this Rams team is one that I thought at the beginning of the year was garbage. And I actually think they're really good. And so I think they got a good chance of running this. I think they can get in with nine wins. So they need to get three. Uh, to, to make it. I think they've still got a shot to do it, even after losing today and you know having a losing record hanging into this heading into this final stretch. All right, let's move off of the NFL. Let's talk some college football. It is back from the land's annual college bowl pick'em challenge is here. We are ready to start picking bowl winners starting next weekend. This year we have all five of us on the show, the three of us, Burke and Miller. My wife, Tammy, will be making picks. And for the first time ever, we have a new celebrity picker. Whitney Rambaldo will be joining the mix and picking games. Stakes are going to be a lot higher this year. In years past, there's been no nothing to win at the end. This year's winner is going to get 500 million Gerbucks if they wow. win. So the stakes oh, are really high. Let's start talking about the games. We will start with the granddaddy of them all, the Myrtle Beach Bowl. On Saturday, December 16th, Georgia Southern versus Ohio University. Georgia Southern favored by three and a half. Georgia Southern's most famous alum, Walt Goggins. OU's most famous alum, Matthew J. Miller. So, <laughs> Eagle versus a Bobcat or Uncle Baby Billy versus the guy who, who played the king and the queen in Hamlet. And it's probably the funniest guy we know. Who you got? Well, wow, that's that's a tough call. I'm gonna as much as I love Uncle Baby Billy, it doesn't even compare to how much I love Matthew J. Miller. So I'm going with the OU Bobcats and Miller, who is definitely the funniest person I know. Well, it's nice to see that bowl season's kicking off in one of the gems of this country. Myrtle <laughs> Beach is absolutely beautiful this time of year. Uh, I'm gonna go with OU too, just because I've been there. I know people who went there that I love and have been friends with for years. So Go Bobcats. What a bunch of suckers. Georgia Southern all the way. Go Eagles. <laughs> Moving on. Let's keep it personal. The 2023 Cure Bowl. Miami University of Ohio plus five and a half versus Appalachian State. Now, Miami of Ohio, average ACT score of their student body, 29. Appalachian State, 25. So, scholars or rubes, who you got? I love saying Appalachian or Appalachian or however people say it. It's different all over. It's a regional dialect thing. 
and I only know one asshole went to Miami. Um, so I'm gonna go against you, Gerb, because I know you're gonna pick him. There's no way you're not picking him. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the five and a half points and go with the uh, the Miami Redhawks, right? And and why is it a cure bowl? Avocados from Mexico cure bowl. Super what do they food? cure? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know that avocados was sponsoring this. It, the full title is Avocados from Mexico Curable. That's fantastic. But I'm going to go with uh, Miami, Ohio, because the uh, one of the, again, one of the funniest people I know happened to be a grad from that university. I'm going with the Red Hawks, too. I can't go any other direction. All right. The New Mexico Bowl. New Mexico State minus three and a half versus Fresno State. Now, New Mexico's biggest export product is nuclear reactors. Fresno's biggest export is almonds. So nukes or nuts, who you got? (laughs) Man, Uh, again, uh, another superfood in in the almonds, not the nukes. I I think, um, ooh, I don't know. It's the New Mexico Bowl and New Mexico State's in it. They're laying three and a half, but I'm going to, I'm going to go with New Mexico state. I think they win it because of their nuclear power. I mean, nukes are hot this year because of Oppenheimer. So I'll take, uh, (laughs) I'll take New Mexico state at home for the W I'm going with Fresno state. I love a good trail mix. And sometimes there's almonds in those. (laughs) Why not? All right. Last one for this week is the Gerber will be in bed independence bowl. This game kicks off at nine 15 on Saturday night. Cal plus three versus Texas Tech. Cal famous alum, Adam Duritz from the Counting Crows. Texas Tech famous alum, John Denver. So, long December or Rocky Mountain High? And that John Denver was full of shit. I'm going with Cal. (laughs) Going with Cal and Duritz. Yeah, I'll take the California Bears. I hunted for years for a cool cow hat because I love that bear logo imprint and I got like three or four and they all fit wrong. It won't stop me from taking them here uh, because you mentioned Cam Dirts and the County Crow. So give me cow. I guess I'll go with Texas Tech. Why not? I've always really loved Texas. So there you go, fellas. There are our first four picks for the bowl challenge. We will revisit those next week and look ahead to another week of great bowl games. But for now, Why don't we have some eggnog holiday cold shots, our cool takes from around the sports world. And even though it's cold outside, we're going to talk about baseball. Shohei Otani signed for $700 million for 10 years with the Dodgers. Guardians payroll was $89 million last year for the entire team. Everything with baseball is fine, right? No. (laughs) Not from where we sit. I don't know if I know of a more deserving player for a contract that large in that sport um you can argue that he's made more money on that contract almost double what lebron's made in his entire career from contracts which seems off to me but i also think it's a pretty good deal for a guy who's a perennial mvp um even if <laughs> it's it doesn't, a pretty good know, deal <laughs> it's a pretty good deal for that guy no but something's massively wrong you're secretly hoping the blue jays signed him because they're not a massive market team um like the Dodgers are, but what would make the most sense is that the Dodgers would sign them. So um, now I don't know how you fix that problem or if it's a problem because the Dodgers got beat up by a a team that didn't have a huge payroll. So anything can kind of happen in baseball, but 
do I like looking at that lineup and going, hey, what if the Guardians somehow make their way to the World Series and that's who they have to face? Then I will say something's terribly wrong and this is bullshit, but I, I don't know how you fix it. I don't know. I don't know if there's going to be a floor ceiling, a floor basement or a, a salary cap ceiling and basement, but that's a lot. That's a lot of money. That's a monster contract. So is the question, is there something wrong with baseball? Everything in baseball is fine. It is. It's baseball, right? So again, we see the Dodgers, the Mets, the Braves, the Yankees, those teams, like they're just going to throw money after money, after money, after money. And it's fine. It, they were not going to change it until the Dodgers rattle off four or five championships in a row. And probably then they won't change it either. <laughs> so they're, they're not, everyone's making yeah. so much money. There's so much money to go around. You can pay a player $700 million knowing that he's not going to throw a single pitch for another two years just to hit next year and then pitch the year after that if they decide they want to do that. Good for Otani. I mean, I, I'm always on the player side in this kind of thing. But yeah, baseball is broken as we've discussed in the past as a guardians fan. I hope we make a deep run into October in the next handful of years. And we find ourselves in the world series again, but there's a good chance the guardians find themselves in a world series against a team who has a player on it, making more than the entire <laughs> roster. When we take the field, baseball is fine because a lot of this contract is deferred. And so he's only going to be making like 40 million a year. The rest of it, they're going to pay him like they pay him. So everything is fine. <laughs> Only <laughs> moving on to the other end of things. The Guardians won the MLB draft lottery last week, which I learned just then was a thing. Yeah. But that's already old news because today Austin <laughs> Hedges is back and it only yeah. costs somebody else, not us, four million bucks. <laughs> Guard signed him today. He's got to pass his physical. Austin Hedges is back. Scale of one to five, one being your kids, five being Cam Gallagher. How much do you love this move? Oh, it's a as close to a one as possible. It's, it's Austin Hedges. And if there's ever anyone who physically should just pass a physical based on <laughs> a picture alone. Based on attitude. Yeah, it's, it's, it's him. So, yeah, man, a one and a half. I'll give it. It's a huge splash. And it took away from the Browns' victory when I saw that siding. I was like, oh, I got to it. I got to be excited more about Austin Hedges. Hey, man, he, he fit in really well here. Everybody kind of loves him. I'm sure he'll be a great mentor to, to Bo Naylor. So I'll, I'll say a one and a half as well. That's a one for me, man. Um, I love this move. Young catcher that he can mentor, uh, young manager too. And Austin Hedges coming back as a World Series champion. I love it. I think this is fantastic. Guardians probably winning 115 games next year. <laughs> However, we need to finish these drinks, oh, no. take a break, head off the field for our holiday extravaganza, and have another drink. Welcome back, fellas, to our final segment. We'll head off the field, and we keep the holidays rolling into week two of our holiday extravaganza. This week, we talk holiday entertainment, drinks, music, parties. We are going to start with our reviews of our holiday drinks that we've been enjoying all night long. So what are your thoughts on the Grinch Mimosa? I really liked it. I think it's a breakfast option for sure. Yeah, easy sipping. You can drink a ton of them probably. So it's a win. 100% agree with both of you on both those things. Easy to drink in the morning. Perfect when like 
families just kind of getting together to start the day celebrating. All right. Next one was the maple old fashioned. What'd you think? As it went on, I liked it more and more. I'm a huge syrup guy. Uh, I've never drank it though, as the mixer with bourbon. The lemon the was elf. okay. Yeah, like the lemon <laughs> took a little bit. Yeah, lemon took a little bit away, but it was it was really good. I don't know if I could have multiples of those, but it was it was better than I thought it would be. I liked it. I liked it, and I would like it to be even colder outside to, to have that drink. Right, like like snowing and sub twenty degree weather. It was like a crackling fire in my chest with every sip it was beautiful <laughs> i i really enjoyed it it was a good cold weather drink for sure i think if you're somebody who really loves bourbon and is comfortable and enjoys drinking bourbon straight maple old-fashioned is great for you because there's just like a little bit of hint of something that adds to it without taking away like a lot of that bourbon flavor all right last one we are currently drinking phil's bourbon milk punch chuck i know you were worried about this one what'd you think <laughs> It's not bad. You know, like Phil described it perfectly. It's it's like a lighter white Russian. It might be a little too much nutmeg. It's sticking to my lips. Like it's not in the <laughs> I might have, the wife might have garnished a little too much. But ultimately, it, I'm not a huge sweet guy. Like I don't like sweeter drinks, but the bourbon is is very nice in it as well. And I think this one will hit me the hardest. I think on accident, maybe, maybe on purpose. I don't know. We did this in the right order. Like this is a dessert kind of drink it it tastes like dessert when i read about it it, it said a, a basically a different take on eggnog and i'll take this over eggnog every day yeah, of the week yeah, so, absolutely but so far so good because again the main ingredient is bourbon and i like that i'm actually reasonably surprised that i like this as much as i do because milk punch just sounds terrible like it sounds <laughs> like something gross this is going down much smoother than I expected it to. I really like it. I, I, again, I'm with Chucky. I'm not much of a sweet guy, but this is like the right amount with a little bit of kick from the bourbon. It's pretty good. And I guess maybe we should, you know, give a little thank you to Whitney, who's been yeah, bartending for Chuck all night long. Right. Must be nice. Yeah, Must great. be nice. So those three drinks, would you serve any of those to family and friends during the holidays? Uh, yeah, I, I think I've just planned out the day. I'm going to start by serving the... <laughs> Grinch mimosa for breakfast uh, on Christmas morning. Um, and then we'll slowly move through what I hope is a cold and snowy Christmas um, to, to have some maple bourbon old fashioned. And when I finally find my ass on my soft couch at the end of the <laughs> night, watching John wick four uh, as, <laughs> as is Christmas, Christmas tradition, uh, perhaps a <laughs> bourbon milk punch is in my future. I think the mimosas are safe throughout the day even for people who aren't drinkers that they they would enjoy that i like the second one is like let's it, it's time like dinner's over i might as well drink something heavier than the meal yeah. i ate and have two or three of those and then make the last one and take like two sips and fall asleep and share <laughs> milk before bedtime right <laughs> yeah the mimosas are the easiest one because that's something everybody can get behind even people who don't really drink will will have one i'm not sure i would be able to convince anybody in my family to have either of the other two no bourbon drinkers in my family although one of the dads is a is a big bourbon drinker so i guess i could talk him into it but he's got a toddler so he's not like he's he's not throwing down three of these in, in the afternoon should. on christmas he absolutely so, yeah, should he should <laughs> but, yeah. so i i definitely think the mimosa would be a hit that's something anybody would have um, I think I will reserve the bourbon for drinking with my buddies like you guys. 
I would love to spend holidays with you guys. This is, I think, a good question for right now. We're in the middle of the holiday party season. What is the appropriate level of drunk at a workplace Christmas party? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> the appropriate level of drunk at a workplace Christmas party is probably two Grinch mimosas and half of a <laughs> maple bourbon old-fashioned drunk. That's it. You can't go past that. It's going to be a disaster. Bad things, man. Bad things. Yeah, I was going to. There's no acceptable level of drunk at an office Christmas party. You don't oh, want to be. You don't want to be that guy or that girl. Mm -hmm. um, that is an embarrassment to yourself and to the company, and that people are talking about on you know through the weekend and then on Monday. So uh, the right amount there is maybe one to two drinks, depending on your tolerance, and then just leave. I agree. You guys been to some lame ass work Christmas <laughs> parties, man. I was gonna say it's one drink less than the person who's most drunk at the party. They're <laughs> gonna be talking about. I also think it matters like age where you're at. Like I feel like if you work at a place where there's like a wide range of ages, you know, obviously all adults, but you know, like my law firm, there was a bunch of us together that were younger. We we're in our like mid twenties, man. We got after it at the Christmas party and then went out afterwards and stuff like that with the older people, like, you know, they have a few drinks and then they go home. I'm all for having a good time. I'm actually really disappointed in you guys for not wanting to tear it up a little bit right. more at a workplace Christmas party. Of course, I work alone by myself at home now, so maybe, that, maybe they should tell us something. I'm the youngest person at my workplace. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, the 20s are a long time ago. Um, why don't we move on from drinking and partying and talk a little bit of holiday music? Why, in your best estimation, is the Mariah Carey Christmas song so popular? It elicits a positive reaction from just about everyone. The first time you hear it, you know the Christmas season. The, the Christmas season is here, and then you're going to have it sprinkled through uh, out the season. But I just think it's such a well-produced Christmas song, uh, whether it's the instrumentation or the singing or the melody, that it, it's always going to be around. And that nothing's coming close to knocking that off in the last 20 years. So a few times is enough, though. That's how that's how I'll put it. <laughs> Just a few times during the holiday season. I don't know. Maybe because the majority of the folks out there don't want to think as hard as we think when we evaluate music. That's why. They just want something given to them. Well, it is Christmas. It's like the giving yeah. season. So I guess that's all right. Oh, yeah. It's nothing yeah. wrong with that. I'm just saying. Yeah. It's easy. It's like a catchy, lighthearted, fun song which is you know everything christmas should be I, I don't think i can explain how it's lasted like this like you're right chuck it's like 20 years 20 this years. has been or more maybe that this Probably, has been like yeah. the like christmas anthem like there's something to that staying power even if it's it's not a song i love but i respect mariah's staying power with that song it's been pretty impressive let's talk about real staying power in christmas though what is your favorite churchy christmas song oh holy night Oh, come all you faithful. Hark, the herald angels sing. Nobody uses the word hark enough anymore. <laughs> or angels we have heard on high. I'm going to go with hark, <laughs> the herald angels sing, because I had to sing that in like grade school. I remember that in like a choir form, learning that. And again, real, what, what does hark mean? But there you go. I like that one as far, far as churchy <laughs> songs go. The same for me. It's a uh, it's a big song for people with big voices to mm -hmm. impress you with the, the range uh, as the song progresses. I love that song. It's one of my favorite Christmas songs, not just the religious ones. Wow. All right. 
I'm going to go with Angels We Have Heard on High. Uh, I'm not much of a singer, but I can get behind that one in church on Christmas Eve or something like that. Mostly I'm looking forward to sometime in the middle of September in a cabin playing euchre with all you guys and Denko's <laughs> playlist coming on and Hark the Herald oh, yeah. Angels Sings gonna be good. comes on. Gonna I hope you good. find a good version. <laughs> Hell yeah. Now, everybody knows the Mariah song, Santa Claus is Coming to Town by Springsteen, Rock Around the Christmas Tree. But what about the lesser known holiday songs? Let's look at some rock and roll Christmas deep cuts. Which of these that I made you listen to today is the best of the lesser known holiday rock songs? Run Rudolph Run by Chuck Berry. Merry Christmas, I Don't Want to Fight Tonight. Little Stephen and the Disciples of Soul. Father Christmas, The Kinks. Or Mistress for Christmas by ACDC. I didn't like a few of these here. Um, I've heard them. <laughs> I guess the Chuck Berry one and the I think the Kinks is kind of like an underrated one because that was I think my mind it's even my mindset now like just give me <laughs> give me everything for Christmas so uh, but I think I'll go with Chuck Berry because uh, Chip likes that song surprisingly he's been oh, really that's listening awesome. to yeah like the last week I've heard it an awful lot Park the only song on this <laughs> list that is on any of my Christmas playlists is <laughs> Rudolph Run by Chuck Berry that's it listening to them all so i i was i had an affinity to that one because it was on one of my personal christmas playlists and i i like it it's good chuck Berry rock i kind of dug a little deeper than you wanted us to into the father christmas one by the kinks like i'm listening to that i'm like wait a minute this dude got mugged dressing yeah. up oh, like santa claus yeah his yeah ass kicked and they're stealing his shit like this is a crazy song yeah and the and then the merry christmas i don't want to fight tonight i i like the little steven version but the ramones version is even better if you if you yeah. listen to that one but again, of the ones you listen or made us listen to, I guess I'll I'll go with Chuck Berry as well. That's one that I already knew. I love the Kinks. I remember hearing Father Christmas on like WMMS when we were like kids, and they would play like their Christmas music and stuff like that during like the Christmas season. And that, I always loved that song. I've always loved the Kinks. Uh, but I'm going with Little Stephen, the Disciples of Soul, because the, Little Stephen and deserves a lot more credit than he even than he gets i think for springsteen sound um and he, he always just makes stuff that sounds really good to me so i like that merry christmas i don't want to fight tonight version although i i actually really enjoyed all of these once we wrap up tonight i'll tell you what mistress for christmas was about by acdc but <laughs> we're gonna move on from drinking and music because next week, we devote the entire final week of the holiday extravaganza to holiday movies. I wanted to know, what is your favorite holiday movie trope? First one. And I counted at least eight of these, where the plot centers on people traveling for the holidays and pretending to be dating for various reasons. <laughs> there is Holiday, Midnight at the Magnolia, Single All the Way, Love Hard, A December oh, Bride, and Grounded for Christmas, which takes place in Cleveland. Ooh. Next trope, meet ugly movies. This is where the romantic leads meet in a confrontational or hostile way, or just by one of them running into the other. Grounded for Christmas qualifies for this one, too. Next one, Big City Lady returns to small town and meets lumberjack, farmer, contractor, <laughs> school teacher, Christmas tree salesman, volunteer fireman, etc. All around nice guy. 
an interesting subgenre is main character coming home and reuniting with their first love. Last one, and apparently this happens more than you think, holiday movies where the boyfriend is secretly a prince. A royal winter, a royal Christmas, a royal Christmas ball, my Christmas prince, a prince for Christmas, a Christmas prince. These are all different movies. So which of these is your favorite holiday movie trope? I'm a huge fan of all four of those tropes. I really look, I seek out movies that focus on those, those topics. Um, I, I think um, I, I kind of, I'm going to lean towards the big city girl finds the all around good guy for a couple of reasons, I guess. I, I, I like the it city. It still happen, right? Yeah. That's I what you're think looking I'm for. an all around good guy. <laughs> well, all of them are on Hallmark constantly here but i think over the last couple of years i like the meet ugly one the best oh all right because battle lines are drawn very early in the movie there's conflict you know oh they're gonna fall in love right around <laughs> christmas and i can't wait to take this ride over the next hour and 40 minutes so uh, i like the meet ugly i'm a sucker for some reason and i can't possibly explain it for the pretend they're dating when they're not but still fall in love genre just the pure volume available in the holiday movies in that trope is is pretty good all right so we are each going to pick a holiday movie then we're all going to watch all three of them and then we're going to talk about it next week so what movie did you pick for us to watch next week i uh, am going with noel which is on disney plus uh anna kendrick is his daughter and bill Hader is santa's son and apparently, like, Hater's got to take over the reins, but he's super stressed out. So he, she tells him to get away, and he doesn't come back. So then she has to go find him. Like, Shirley MacLaine is in this movie, and Billy Eichner. Like, it has a pretty good cast. Yeah. And I can yeah. remember seeing a photo about, like, God, oh, this is when Anna Kendrick was, like, super hot. She was on that run of movies where they were hit, 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 hit. And then you haven't seen much of her after this, so I'm hoping oh, no. this is the bomb I expect it to be. But no, <laughs> I, I actually, I want to see it. So it's it's Noel. It's on Disney+. Plus. And I guess one thing I forgot to mention was these were, all had to be movies that we had never seen before, which I think was probably a challenge for Chuck since he lives for this stuff. <laughs> um, I, for one, am really hoping that there's a great, like, Barry aspect to Noel. That, that sounds fantastic. All right, Phil? I found a movie after looking long and hard for something that wasn't Hallmarky or Lifetimey or Ooh. whatever. I know, I know. Those, those were low-hanging fruit in my mind. So I found a movie that um, is available on Amazon Prime to all of us. It stars an all-star cast, and I'll get to it in a second, but the name of the movie, and uh, let me let me take a step back first. I looked at three movies, and this movie got the highest rating of all three, and I couldn't believe it. I could not believe this movie outrated the other ones. The movie is called Violent Night. I've never oh, seen no. it. David Harbour. Who is Hopper yeah, from Stranger I've seen, Things? I think I've seen previews for this. Oh, yeah. 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 Violent Night scored oh. like a 75 when all these other movies were getting 30s. So it's an elite team of mercenaries break into oh. a family compound on Christmas Eve, <laughs> taking everyone hostage. What they didn't expect, it's Christmas Eve. I don't know why you wouldn't expect this, was Santa Claus comes in and kicks their ass. It's, it's, it's Saint Nick comes in and just destroys everyone. This is brought to you by the same people that brought us John Wick. So I had to go oh, with that. Jesus, Dinko. <laughs> David Harbour, Be- Beverly Angelo's in it, who's oh, Ellen Grizzly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And John Leguizamo, who is obviously Luigi from 
1993's Mario Bros. It's also a John Wick movie. Benny, Benny from yeah. the Block. Oh, yeah. yeah. In Carlito's way, yeah. I went with Mario Brothers because it was funnier. But yes, he's also <laughs> in all those other good movies. I decided to search for holiday movies with lawyers as the main characters because I thought that would be an interesting little twist. And I was not disappointed. Christmas at the drive-in. A lawyer fights to keep local drive-in theater open in the holidays and falls in love. Winnie Cooper is the lawyer. A case for Christmas. Lawyer defends Santa. Dean Kane is the attorney Ooh. in that one. I did not go with either of those. I went with the mistletoe promise, which fits into, like I said, my favorite genre of pretending to be dating and then falling in love. The bad news is, is this is going to cost you a dollar oh, on Amazon it. Prime, or it's showing on the Hallmark Channel oh, at 2 a.m. on December 16th. So your if you're up, <laughs> if you're up and you have the Hallmark Channel, you can catch Mistletoe Promise there. So, all right, we got Noel, Violent Christmas, and Mistletoe Promise, <laughs> and we'll hit all those <laughs> next week. Fellas, thank God we yeah. are out of time. Not quite out of booze, but yeah. I'm out of questions for now. And we just did the whole show without mentioning that you can get a discount on tickets to the Rolling Stones Hackney Diamonds Tour if you are an AARP member. With that news, that for the first time since 1994, I need my dad's credit card to buy concert tickets. <laughs> I hope you guys have a great week. Let's get together and do this again yeah. real soon. Absolutely. Can't get consistent production on offense? F*** you, pay me. Florida's six-week abortion ban? Fuck you, pay me. Cavs ruined the week for Florida by starting with a dominant win. Should I take that out? No, <laughs> was, keep that, that Not as funny as I thought it was going to be. People should know. <laughs> Cavs ruined the week for Florida by starting with a dominant win over... <clears throat> Man, where are we going to be? Bourbon yep. drinks. <laughs> I'm using like real oh. Canadian maple syrup from like, so, I, like the dad's so brought it I thought to you us. were using condensed milk or carnation <laughs> instant breakfast. Like, what is that? Can? Well, you know, I thought about it. I was going to use condensed milk for Denko's drink. <laughs> this is what I suggest. We plan on like a long outtake at the end. I suggest we rip through this show as fast as we can before we're 100% hammered and we can't talk like Burke that one episode. So I was telling Chuck, the milk one, when we get to it, and you're right, we should go as quickly as we can. Um, Except here you are slowing us down. Go ahead. Well, but you're not drinking, are you? <laughs> yes, I am. Um, no, I was just saying pour it on ice and sip it like it's it's like a dessert drink then. You know what I mean? It's like milkshake kind of tasting. So yeah, yeah. It'll be a slow consumption, but we probably shouldn't start that until the very end. To our second holiday drink of the night, we are now having our maple bourbon. How's this thing called? <laughs> our maple we are now on our maple bourbon old fashioned. <laughs> AFC playoffs right now are like Toys R Us when Furbies came out for Christmas in 1998. <laughs> uh, damn it. <laughs>
The Guardians' payroll was $89 million last year for the entire team. Everything with baseball. Baseball? Everything with... <laughs> Have you seen my baseball? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so, Mistress at Christmas, a Mistress for Christmas, ACDC wrote that song when the news broke about Trump cheating on his first wife with Marla Maples. And they thought it was so funny that her name was Marla Maples, which sounded like almost like a candy or something like that. Uh, and it was like during the holidays. So they wrote an entire song about it. And that's, that's what that song is. It's not good. In general, no, <laughs> it's really not no. many good rock Christmas songs. Oh, I disagree. No in-season tournament talk? Come on. We were getting long. Um, but my question was, Lakers won the in-season tournament. LeBron became the oldest and youngest player ever to win the in-season tournament <laughs> MVP. Admit it. This was way more fun than you expected. I'll, I'll admit, admit it. it. Yeah, I'll admit yeah. it. Me too. Yeah. Me too. I watched that entire game. Especially now. Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> I watched that game, and at the end, I even kept it on to watch the trophy presentations. Which I didn't like, do that. Why am I doing this? It's it's so bad. But I, I think, you know, I mean, we can finally put the greatest of all time argument to rest, right? I mean, how many in-season yeah. tournament champions? Yeah, exactly. Zero. Exactly. Zero. Yeah. Goose egg. <laughs> I was into it. I was yeah. into not yep. just the championship. It, yep. I think I was into it because you could see. The players were into Absolutely. it. Absolutely. They, they yep. were playing playoff basket. Like they were playing playoff rotation, playoff yeah. basketball. That's pretty exciting to see. I think it's a really good thing. You almost wish the Cavs had done better because it would have given them a few more games in that type of environment, you know, yeah, which yeah. a team that's as young as the Cavs are still and as inexperienced in the playoffs as they are still. They could have used that. And it was like, they, they did all it right. Was they they had people, <laughs> it was fun. to people. It just came down to yeah. point differential. Yeah. You know? That's, and, and I think that's my one complaint is there should have been yeah. more games in pool play. So we had a better opportunity to come out of it because it sucks to go three and one and, and not get to, yeah. not get to move on, you know? I want you to know the type of restraint I have. <laughs> As an you adult, because Jethro Tull has a Christmas song. No oh, man, you gotta stop. Uh, no, you... I'm making I'm making a Christmas list for the next time I'm working in Tammy's shop. And you're um, picking some of these songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's gonna be like rocking Christmas when I'm in there. It's fantastic. <laughs> I'm not doing the ACDC one. Uh, Probably a good idea. That's yeah. yeah. That that one's not gonna make the cut. Do you have uh, Santa looked a lot like Daddy anywhere on that playlist? I don't. <laughs> It's a good I jam. <laughs> Did you use? I didn't see one called. The... Um, there was a Leonard Skinner songs called "Santa's <laughs> Messing with the Kid." I'm like, oh, I don't God, that, that, that can't be okay. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah, none of these Christmas songs are you know really 
really okay. No. <laughs> you know? What are you talking about? You know, there was one that I didn't put on there that was, uh, it's called 2000 Miles by the Pretenders. It's like Die Hard's a Christmas movie. This is a Christmas song. Um, okay. But it's actually about like somebody in the band that died. And it's fucking awesome. Like, it's, it's slow. It's nowhere near as good as uh, Little Drummer Boy by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. I'm listening there to that right now. It's fucking fantastic. There you go. <laughs> did you listen to the Black or the, uh, wait a minute, what did you say? Yeah, us? that was the Black Crows. Backdoor Black Crows. Santa? How yeah, great yeah. is that? That was great. That was absolutely great. Why does it look like pea soup? Yeah, mine kind of looks like pea soup too. All right. Oh, I haven't even made mine yet. I thought we were gonna do this. Who's running this show here? What the hell? Whitney Whitney (laughs) felt like I was. Apparently, fucking Whitney's in charge of the show too. Oh, she should. She is giving them some sass. Hmm? Gerber Um, said you were sassing them. Of course I was. Let me see. Let me see the green. Phil, can you hold up yours so Whitney can see how pretty yours is? See how oh, green yeah. that one is? This yeah. Okay, yeah. Hold on. Is that Marvin Harrison is getting that NIL deal that is going to make it financially reasonable for him to stay for another year. And that's where like the NIL stuff makes college football better. Because it gives us another year of of Marvin Harrison before he goes pro. Because he's like, hey, I can make five million this year. It's not like I've got to I've got to make that that decision between do I stay and risk my future if I get hurt or do I go to the pros? I can get life changing money today. And if Marvin Harrison stays at Ohio State, that is going to be fucking fun. And we are going to spend a month coming up with a better fucking nickname. <laughs> what's a first round wide receiver rookie contract if they go in the top 10 well it's not it's it, old, that's right? the thing is it's it's not um his nil deal is equivalent to what he would make the first year not the okay. equivalent of what he'd make with that contract because the four-year I mean, that's contract. a big difference right and it's probably something in the range of like 40 million because he's going to be well it's tiered based in part on your where you get selected and he's probably yes. the third pick in the draft. Yeah. If he goes three, he'll make 38.2. Yeah. For four years. Mm. So four year yeah. contract, rookie contract, yeah. about 40 yep. mil. How much of that's guaranteed? Cause that's got to all be teased out too. Right. In the, the yeah. whole. Yeah. Regardless. But that's the thing. It's like he can, <laughs> right. But I mean, five mil is also five life changing money. Yeah. Five mil guaranteed. Yeah. Like yeah, you're getting yeah. five million because it's you're selling cars in Columbus or whatever the hell the NIL is. But uh-huh. yeah, yeah, um, probably OnlyFans. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, Burke will subscribe uh, yeah. for sure. For sure. sure. <laughs> oh Shit. boy! All right, it's twelve fifteen. <laughs> yes. What are we trying to break records here? I'm not trying to break records. I'm gonna go do we should, I do think we should look for three more drinks for next week because this worked out beautifully. It really did. It really did. Let's just I run it back. Plenty of the blue stuff. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Let's, 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 each, let's each find a, a drink to make with blue curacao or whatever it is. <laughs> so we can straight. just straight. Just oh, straight. Curacao Brown's on the rocks. How come straight? <laughs> I'm not sure I can get behind that, but I'll think about it. All right. Let me know. All right, fellas.
You guys are the boys. best. Yeah. All right. All right. Love you, fellas. Love, Love you guys. Good night. See you Later. soon. Funny. Funny like a clown? You didn't use you?